Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Happy Fourth of July weekend to you. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. Now we've got two leagues. With lockouts, we'll discuss. Uh, in segment three, Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com is going to join us to talk about the latest with the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is a fluid story. We discussed it last week with Bill Shaken from the LA Times. Maury Brown going to talk about the bankruptcy of the Dodgers with us. That's in segment three. In segment four, John Wartime, author and senior writer at Sports Illustrated, will join us from Wimbledon to discuss the state of American tennis, also, we'll discuss the NBA and the lockout with John Wartime from Sports Illustrated. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can also find the icons for our Facebook and Twitter feeds. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Joined in studio by producer extraordinaire Brian Griggs. Griggs, we talk about the lockout every week in the NFL. Now the NBA can join the ranks. Yeah, we got some more color we can add. We got two to talk about. It's great. <laughs> it's unbelievable. These leagues make billions of dollars. Interest is high, and the owners and players can't figure out a way to divide the pie. And, you know, this is really bad for the NBA. They haven't missed games, obviously. Uh, but from everyone I've talked to, this is not going to be over anytime quickly. And there was such high TV ratings for the finals. Fan interest very high this year, and now they're taking this into a lockout, and we'll see how long it lasts. I think the NFL one is going to be over soon, and we'll discuss that next. Coming up in headlines, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is SBR, back with more after this. I can't deny they're getting high, higher than my income, incomes, breadcrumbs. I've been trying to survive. The glow that the sun gets right around sunset helps me realize this is just a journey. Drop your worries, you are going to turn out fine. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, unfortunately for sports fans, much of what is making headlines in the sports world these days is going on off the field. Now, we've got another league that's joined the ranks of the locked out. I love the sound effect from Griggs. We're going to start using that every week. The, the jail doors going shut. Players from the NBA have been locked out by the owners. This happened recently, uh, midnight on Thursday. And, okay, you want to know what they're arguing about. We'll do a whole show on what they're arguing about in the near future. But, in essence, the owners want the players to go from 57% of the revenues to 40% of the revenues. And as I've said on this show many times, if your boss came to you tomorrow and said, hey, look, we want you to take a third pay cut, you'd probably be like, what? Huh? I don't think I'm doing that. That's what the NBA players are doing right now. The owners want to reduce contracts. They want to take them down to a maximum length of three years for players signing with new teams and two years for signing with your own team. They want to remove sign-in trades. They wanted a hard cap, but they backed off of that, and they'll now be happy with a flex cap, which is about $62 million. That's up a little bit from the current $58 million. The players have said they'd take a $500 million pay cut over a five-year period, but they're not really willing to reduce their BRI, basketball-related uh, income, split from 57 all the way down to 40. The players also want enhanced revenue sharing. They want enhanced sign-and-trade flexibility. They want to reduce the age limit to 18 years old. They want to restructure uh, restricted free agency. So there's a lot of different areas where the two sides cannot come together. I think this is going to go on for a long time. I think the owners want radical change to the league and to the structure of business. The owners say 22 teams are losing money. I don't know if I buy that. But here's the stat I give out when we talk about will there be revenue sharing. The L.A. Lakers make $3 billion from their new TV deal with Time Warner. The Portland Trailblazers make $12 million. It gives you an idea of the difference in revenues, Griggs, between the big markets like the Lakers and the smaller markets like Portland. And unfortunately, with this work stoppage, the lockout, You've got players against owners, but you also have owners against owners. They're not even on the same page. And until they get on the same page, this thing won't be solved. And I think, like you just read through all that stuff they're discussing, I think that right there shows you why this is going to take a while. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the table. There's a wide range of percentage different, you know, 57% down to 40%. I mean, there's some big things. It's not just little percentage here, percentage here. It's a big range of money, and it's a lot of things with a lot of people talking about it. Now, the good news is the NFL seems to be making progress. We saw Demora Smith, the union leader, and Roger Goodell uh, together this week at the Rookie Symposium. They're discussing things. They met all this week. No deal yet, but at least they're talking regularly, and that's a good sign. I still think we're going to have a deal by July 15th. Another part of this is the NFL reportedly, according to the Sports Business Journal, is shopping a Thursday night TV package. We heard this might not start till 2014. Well, it sounds like they're shopping it now. The NFL Network has the last eight Thursday night games of the year. So the NFL is shopping the first eight Thursday night games of the year. 
Griggs, that would be about $700 million a year to the NFL. This would be a way, remember they took that billion dollars off the table for stadium expenses and the player credit. Now if they can get $700 million a year for Thursday night football from a network, that kind of gets them back in business and gets them to the level financially they wanted to be at. And it also um, gets the fan excited. I mean, we talked about that last week. It's yep. going to be, I mean, what football fan is not going to like having that? It's going to be great. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great move. I think they got to do it, and I think they will do it soon. Comcast wants the package for Versus. Also, TNT very interested in Thursday night football. We know Sunday night footballs with NBC, Monday night footballs with ESPN. They both pay billions of dollars for just those nights. Someone will pay an equal amount for Thursday night football. Our next headline, Tiger partners with a Japanese company for his first sponsorship since the scandal. So remember, Tiger Woods and his agent, Mark Steinberg, have left IMG. And Tiger's had some tremendous endorsement deals over the course of his career. Nike, Accenture, Gillette, EA Sports, Tag Heuer. I mean, there's not an athlete on this planet that's had the type of endorsement deals and really blue chip endorsement deals. Ten years, a few hundred million dollars per deal. So the first deal out of the box, Griggs, is with uh, a company called Van Kawa. And they manufacture pain-relieving, creamy gels and adhesive patches. Now, some people may say, great deal for Tiger. Good that someone wanted to align their brand with him. I think this cheapens him so much. Now, it also speaks to how far his brand has fallen in the United States. I don't think people in Asia and Europe really care about his off-the-course life and his scandals. But these are the types of endorsement deals that are coming across the desk of Mark Steinberg now. Maybe this company's paying Tiger a lot of money, but are you kidding me? It's a creamy gel and adhesive patch. It's in Japan, and nothing against this company, but if you put this deal up against all of his other mega deals he signed in the past, I think it looks really cheap. Yeah, I agree with you, and it's also kind of a product focused on injury which is what Tiger's going through, too. You know, patches and gels and things. So I think it kind of also, not really focuses on his injuries, but it's also, it's not a product that's an active product. It's more of an injury product. Well, and guess what? If it helps him, then it's an authentic endorsement. If he's being paid a lot of money, then great. But just on the surface, it kind of looks like, you know, he's going to the, the local pharmacy and grabbing the nearest endorsement deal. And it, I don't know. I'm just not down with it. All right, our next headline, GE has extended its IOC top sponsorship through 2020 in a four-game deal worth hundreds of millions of dollars. This is according to the Associated Press this week. Financial terms of the agreement were not announced, but top sponsorships, which are for the top Olympic sponsors, the core Olympic sponsors, usually go for up to $100 million for four years. Now, the interesting thing is, is that NBC used to be owned by GE. NBC is going to have the Olympics, as we've discussed in past shows. GE's still on board, though. And, uh, you know, remember, NBC bought the Olympic rights for $4.3 billion through 2020. So GE and NBC working together still, even though GE doesn't own NBC through 2020. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting remarriage, if you will, of those two companies coming back together. And it will be interesting to see if they get those sponsorships filled and sold and who buys them, because uh, I think eventually it will. But something tells me those are going to kind of come in late, because Olympic stuff seems to kind of come in late as it's getting closer rather than so far out in advance. So it'll be interesting to see when they lock those deals down. 
Last headline of the week, Nike's quarter four earnings jump 14% as sales surge in North America and China. Um, big, big year for Nike, big quarter for Nike. And, you know, they're doing it abroad. They're doing it in China. They're doing it in Japan. And they're doing it in North America, which has always been the core for Nike. But, you know, Nike's growth, and if you've been to China, you know this, is in China. That's why they take Kobe Bryant over there, LeBron James, many of their athletes. They take over to China. They've signed Chinese athletes, also Japanese athletes. So they see the value in China and Japan, and it's really helping grow their company up 14% in the last quarter. All right, coming up next, Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. He's going to join us to discuss the Dodgers bankruptcy this week. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm dusting off my golf clubs and looking forward to enjoying the gorgeous Oregon summer weather on the golf course. Like many of you, I'm on a budget. I want to tee it up when it's convenient for my schedule, and I enjoy playing golf courses that deliver a private golf club experience. That's why I want to tell you about the Ghost Pass at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club. The Ghost Pass is Oregon's premier frequent player program that allows you to play the world-renowned Ghost Creek Golf Course for over half off of the regular greens fees. And with your Ghost Pass, you can make your tee times 14 days in advance. The Ghost Pass program sets itself apart by offering a competitive tournament program, which includes one exclusive Ghost Pass event at Witch Hollow. The Ghost Pass is available for only $150, and here's the best part. When you sign up for the Ghost Pass, you'll receive a complimentary round of golf valued at $150. So you literally can't lose when you purchase the Ghost Pass. Go online to PumpkinRidge.com and sign up for the Ghost Pass today. I'll see you on the links. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, the Los Angeles Dodgers filed for bankruptcy protection in a Delaware court blaming Major League Baseball for refusing to approve a multi-billion dollar TV deal that owner Frank McCourt was counting on to keep the troubled team afloat. The Dodgers say in a statement, there will be no disruption to the Dodgers' day-to-day business, the baseball team, or to Dodger fans. I love that quote. Joining me on the phone right now is Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. Follow him on Twitter, at bizballmaury. Maury, how are you? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you today? I'm doing good. I mean, this is like the longest-running soap opera now in sports. What is Frank McCourt going to do today? And today, he, you know, the man addicted to litigation files for bankruptcy. Are, are you surprised at all? No, not at all, Brian. I mean, I think that anybody that had their finger on the pulse of this deal was expecting this to happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes about it. Um, you know, there's some key pieces to it that are somewhat similar to what we just dealt with last year. Uh, with the Texas Rangers and Tom Hicks. But, uh, you know, here we are. It seems like, uh, you know, once again, we're we're talking about the Dodgers for all the wrong reasons. With the Rangers last year, after all was said and done, the team was put up for auction. And it came down to Mark Cuban and basically Nolan Ryan. And Nolan Ryan got the Rangers. Cuban didn't want to go beyond a certain price. If this goes to auction again, I've got to like Cuban's chances, don't you? Well, it'll be interesting to see how that happens and what goes on with it. I'll be very interested to see, Brian, what Major League Baseball did in the midst of the aftermath of the Rangers situation. I mean, there may be nothing that they can do. I mean, the bankruptcy courts are the bankruptcy courts, and they're going to try and control this thing. But uh, this is a different situation in that 
um, if it goes to a public auction, then then that of course is a matter of trying to get the maximum amount to fulfill um, all the the debt obligations that are in place. I don't know if it's as steep as as we've seen um, with with Hicks. I mean, I mean it's considerable. Um, hopefully, it doesn't come to that. I mean, it just it opens up a can of worms that baseball doesn't want to get to in any of the other sports leagues. Um, if you have basically teams in duress and, and you basically have this open to discussion or basically open to the courts to determine to the highest bidder who owns a club. I mean, that could just run all kinds of problems through sports leagues, um, not just here, but I imagine worldwide. Doesn't this basically come down to does the powers of Major League Baseball apply or do the powers of a bankruptcy court apply? And whoever comes out on top, that's kind of where this thing goes, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, there are very broad powers that baseball has. If you look at the at baseball's constitution, it gets into, you know, you can't sue the league. You can basically arbitrate these things. We have the best interest of baseball, which is a very broad-reaching, you know, and is open to interpretation as, as to how that goes and who the owners are within their midst and in within a league format is of great concern to any sports league who they have in there. Um, you could have anybody with deep pockets that have basically no interest in baseball and and what they're trying to do collectively, um, pushing their agendas forward. Um, it, it just has, it comes with all kinds of problems. You try to avoid this stuff at all costs. Joined by Maury Brown of thebizofbaseball.com. Maury, where does Jamie McCourt play into all this? We know Frank and Jamie are getting divorced. We know they had a tentative date set for August 4th where they were going to go to court and basically it was going to be a one-day showdown for ownership of the Dodgers. That was based on the $3 billion Fox deal. That got nixed on the 20th by C-League saying he wasn't going to allow that. So Jamie McCord, I haven't really heard from her through all of this. Well, she said today that she, you know, a source close to her said today that She's very upset about this. She just wants Frank to sell the team. And this is, you know, I, I have to ask myself this. You know, if Frank McCourt goes into bankruptcy court and files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, what he, which is what he's done, and then said, I, you know, we need this, this you to push this Fox deal through because it's in the best interest of all the, the unsecured creditors that are owed money, guys like Manny Ramirez, the Chicago White Sox, and a host of others, how does that money factor into the divorce? Well, it shouldn't. Every penny should go to the bankruptcy and to satisfying those unsecured debtors. So Jamie, of course, is sitting on the outside of this thing right now. You know, this this deal that would have been done prior, if the league would have approved it, would have been outside the bankruptcy court. The bankruptcy court, of course, is going, we have creditors that are owed money. Those are the people that you have to satisfy. Your divorce is not part of that equation. So if there's any upfront money in it that would have gone to Jamie McCourt, I can't see how the courts would allow that to happen. I love this statement that came out this morning where it says there will be no disruption to the Dodgers' day-to-day business, the baseball team, or to the Dodger fans. How do they know? I mean, this is all a big disruption, isn't it? And it has to trickle down to the guys on the field wondering, am I going to get paid? Well, you know, and so here's the thing. The, the big question mark around all this is that out of this bankruptcy fund is a $150 million loan from a hedge fund, of all things, which Major League Baseball tried desperately to get away from as <laughs> part of the Texas Rangers deal. That $150 million would be basically used to keep the, the Dodgers afloat through the bankruptcy proceeding. It would allow them to pay all the payroll payroll. They have to do that. Um, there's clear guidelines within the collective bargaining agreement that says you've got to pay the players. And if you look at the list of the top 40 creditors in this thing, this filing, they're almost all players. 
So, I mean, that that's a huge concern to the to the MLBPA, the, the union for the players. It's a huge concern to the league and, of course, to the players. Now, we saw this with Texas. It really didn't influence how they played on the field. If anything, they played better, which was really surprising. They had that money available to them. They were able to actually go out and make some transactions in the midst of bankruptcy that actually buoyed them and basically got them into a position where they won the American League Championship. So stranger things have happened, Brian. Um, it may not affect the players. It'll certainly affect the fans, which are, are of course, very upset about all of this. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the the largest unsecured claim. So the Dodgers owe Manny Ramirez nearly $21 million. Andrew Jones, $11 million. So there's money to guys that aren't even playing for the Dodgers anymore, and they owe the White Sox $3.5 million. So, God, you know, I said earlier in the show, there have been some bad sports owners in Los Angeles, notably Donald Sterling and Al Davis when he was there with the Raiders before he took the team and moved him to Oakland. But I think Frank McCourt, you've got to move him to the top of the list. Worst sports owner in the history of Los Angeles. Well, I mean, that's a, that's that's certainly up for debate. And certainly, you know, I, I, I'd be hard to argue with that one right now, Brian. I mean, certainly Donald Sterling isn't any, you know, patron saint, I guess, of sports. But, you know, it isn't good. You know, there's other things that have gone along with this. We've had, the, you know, the Dodgers have several charitable foundations, and they've been shown to pay um, monies out of those accounts that funneled back to Jamie McCourt. That looks terrible when you're a nonprofit, of course. Now they immediately went, oh, we'll go ahead and pay those back before the California Attorney General jumped into the mix. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you start piling all this stuff up together, sure, Frank McCourt may be the, the worst sports owner in Los Angeles Dodger history. What do you think Bud Selig and Major League Baseball are doing this morning when they see that McCourt files for bankruptcy in a Delaware courtroom? Well, I'm sure they've been prepared for it. Their actions will be interesting. I've been waiting to see a press release from them. I tried to contact um, Patrick Courtney, who's the uh, executive VP of media relations and communications for the league. I had some questions, uh, you know, for him, and he said, those are all great questions, none of which I'm going to get to today. So they're, <laughs> certainly, they're certainly formulating what they're going to say. And, look, they've basically they're not responding to any of the media right now. So they're, I'm sure they're preparing to say something very measured. It'll be something very controlled. So I would look for something maybe today, you know, no later than tomorrow, there's going to be some formal response from Major League Baseball. It feels like... McCourt is flailing right now. He's drowning and he's flailing in the water. And do you see any scenario at all where he can go get a different TV deal or he can do anything that would satisfy Major League Baseball or legally where he can be the owner of the team going forward? I don't know how he does this. I mean, I really don't. I have tried every which way to think about how he could retain it. He either gets, you know, divvied up and split up to, to basically ha- to take care of Jamie McCord or, you know, through the bankruptcy proceeding to basically get new owners in there or him trying to figure out a way to get other money, knowing he's going to loan him the money to do this thing. And that's the thing. is Everything is hinging on this TV deal and him trying to force that through. Well, that, I think, is a, is a long shot. You could possibly get Time Warner in there. There was some discussion and some rumors about that. The current Fox television deal runs through 2013. So, you know, I don't think you can have any discussion about Time Warner coming in there for another you know, two years. So there's no way I can see Frank McCourt trying to keep this thing afloat for another two years. You could wrap this thing up in the court if he, if he really tried, I suppose, you know, eight months, maybe a year. Um, but even then, I you know, I don't know. It, it's one of those situations where 
there just doesn't seem a way to see him own it. There seems to be a way to handle the debt and maybe take care of Jamie McCourt, but not retaining the doctors. Well, and to me, this isn't just about money. So say he comes up with the money to save the day and have payroll and all that stuff. He's embarrassing Major League Baseball and its brand right now. And obviously, there's a, an enormous breach of trust. And I think Bud Selig just wants him out of the ownership chair ASAP. Yeah, and that's been, I think, the in the, the situation for some time. I mean, when they went and put in, they put Tom Schieffer in, the former uh, president of the Texas Rangers, whose brother is Tom Schieffer of CBS Evening News fame, um, to basically oversee the Dodgers no more than $5,000. Uh, anything over $5,000 has to run through him. And it was a, a fact-finding mission, if nothing else. I mean, it was to see, you know, make sure that they don't put the team in any more duress but it was also a matter of looking to see if they were doing anything improper with all of these shell corporations. I mean, there's five holding companies around the Dodgers that include the stadium, the land around it, the parking. McCourt was very smart in splintering those all off, and all five of them are named in this bankruptcy filing. Unbelievable. Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. Follow him on Twitter, at bizballmaury. Maury, that's all the time we have. Thanks for the conversation. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Brian. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Uh, I'm going to kick my feet up then stare at the fan. Turn the TV on, throw my hand in my pants. Nobody's going to tell me I can't. No, I'll be lounging on the couch just chilling in my snuggie. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Joining me live from the All England Tennis Club in London, side of Wimbledon, is John Wartime, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. John, how are you? Good, how you doing? Excellent. So let's talk about American tennis. I mean, we've seen the Williams sisters go down, Roddick's out, has tennis for Americans ever looked more bleak than it does right now? Yeah, it's it's pretty bleak. Um, there's there's one American left in the draw, Marty Fish, but otherwise, uh, you know, the Williams sisters are out, Roddick is out, and 
I mean, I think what's also troubling is not, not like there's great uh, talent coming in the pipeline. And I think that some of this is, uh, you know, globalization and they're playing tennis everywhere and it's a different world than it was 20, 30 years ago. Some of this is that the, the USCA hasn't been particularly good about getting young athletes to play tennis. Um, so, some of this probably just luck. And, you know, I mean, it, it's one of these things where if, if you like tennis, these are good times. There are a lot of good players. There's good rivalry. You've got Federer. You've got Nadal. But, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in it to root for Americans, the, uh, the, the pickings are pretty slim. Is tennis an elitist sport in America? And if so, is it an elitist sport in other countries, too? It seems like, you know, you've got to be a rich kid to play tennis in America, and I think that's one of the problems. Yeah, it's really not the case. I mean, I, I feel like tennis has this image problem it's got to address with that, um, at least in the U.S., where it's sort of still seen as this country club sport, where really it's not so much the case. I mean, even you know, a lot of oh, Federer is sort of a middle-class kid, but certainly not wealthy. Same with Nadal, the Williams system. You sort of go down the list, and it's not like these players have come from uh, great privilege for the most part. I mean, it costs a lot of money to... Uh, Send your kids to to an academy, sure, but you know you could say that about any sport, and it's still you know a can of balls is uh, a couple bucks, a racket's a hundred dollars. You can play for free a lot of places, and um, you know I mean I think it's something a, a generation ago when a lot of it was a country club sport, may, maybe it was elitist, but really uh, you know in other countries, you know federation. I mean a lot of these kids, their parents are ma- mailmen or they own a bar. I mean it's, it's not at all um, an upper class sport, but it's it's a perception problem the sport's got to deal with. But I think even here in Portland, you know, it's hard to get court time. If you want to get court time, you got to send your kid to a camp and you have to pay for that. It's hard to just find an open tennis court and hit the ball around. And I think that's a challenge for American kids. Yeah, I mean, you can always find a public court. But, you know, my, my, my son was looking to play in hockey. You know, he's nine years old. And we were, you know, the equipment, just to get started, about 1500 bucks worth of equipment. Wow. So you, you can play tennis for 10 years and not spend 1500 I mean, look at, look at how much it costs for a set of clubs. Um, I mean, I think when you get to a certain level, it's expensive, but I, I think, you know, basketball being an exception, but I think for a lot of sports, that's the case. I mean, if you want to be, uh, you know, if you, if you want to go to one of these elite camps in a lot of sports, it's going to cost you some money. Joined by John Wartime of Sports Illustrated. He is at Wimbledon as we speak. Um, how big is the drop-off between Federer, Nadal, and Joker? After that, on the men's side, how far is that drop-off? Yeah, it's pretty steep. I mean, Andy Murray, who's, who's um, you know, the, the British player who's uh, still in the draw, is, is pretty solidly number four. But then after that, there's a pretty steep drop-off. But, I mean, I, in a way, I think it's great. that You sort of have these elite players, and uh, they're reliably in the, the finals of the tournaments, and they're winning the big prizes, and they're challenging each other. I mean, the women's draw is completely the opposite, where coming in here, you could have, pick 15 players and you wouldn't you know i mean it's 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 all over the place um so you sort of you have this little uh, case study now sort of what do you like better this parody where anyone can win at any given sunday versus the dominance of the men where you basically have four guys at the top and then a pretty long staircase down and i think most people would agree uh better to have four really good players battling it out than a field that's just absolutely wide open Maria Sharapova's had a lot of injuries in the last few years. She hasn't won anything. Um, she's a high-profile name, and Nike's behind her, and she's on magazine covers like yours. She's still in the mix. Uh, where's her career right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. Ask, ask in uh, you know, 96 hours, because if she wins this, 
she's right back in the mix. I mean, certainly an NBC Nike. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of people really cheering for her. Um, she's had some shoulder trouble, had some injury. Now she's engaged to, to an NBA player, no less. I'll have you know. Um, if she wins this, you know, she's she's 23, 24. She's a two-time Wimbledon champion now, and uh, if she wins this, she really is sort of the the reigning star of women's tennis. If she loses it, then you say, well, gosh, you've had all these chances, and are you ever going to get back up there? I mean, she she won this when she was 17, so she's been on the scene for a long time. But, um, you know, I mean, I think, honestly, there are a lot of people. She's in the semifinals now, and there are an awful lot of people from the, the good folks in the NBC uh, ratings department to, to Nike to the women's tennis executives that hope she's got two more matches in her. You know, I, I remember the days of Borg and McEnroe and of Everett and Navratilova, and HBO's had two really good documentaries on both of those rivalries. Did you see those, and did you yearn for days of past in tennis like I did when I watched those? Um, yeah, I, 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 did see the, I did see those, and I think one of them was a 30 for 30, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I saw those, and it's, it's just, you know, tennis is just a weird place where, I mean, first of all, you've got a great rivalry in, in Federer and Nadal still, and, and to a lesser extent... Um, you know, a three-way rivalry with Djokovic. And it's just one of these things where, you know, Wimbledon tennis is up, and they're, you know, their Chinese player won the French Open. 116 million people in China saw this match. Um, I think sort of globally, tennis is doing just fine. But in the U.S., it's really tailed off. I mean, Federer and Nadal have played almost twice as many times as Borg-McEnroe has. I mean, that's, that's sort of, in some ways, a much more textured rivalry, but so few of those matches have come in the U.S. Obviously, neither of them is American that um, it just hasn't had the same kind of resonance as Borg McEnroe. But, you know, it's just tough because tennis globally is going great. It's just really sucking wind in the U.S. right now. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. I was talking about Roy McElroy last week and why I don't think no matter how much success he has, he'll ever equal Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is American. Rory McElroy is not. As great as Nadal and Federer are, I just don't know that Americans will ever watch them like they did McEnroe and Connors. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, at least what golf has going for it, I mean, Rory McIlroy is sort of an interesting case with that, but what golf has going for it, at least the events for the most part, unless you're on the Euro Tour, I mean, at least the PGA is based in the, uh, in the U.S. Uh, what's going on with tennis is that not only are the players coming from all over, but the events are going all over, too. So you used to have all these tournaments you know, basically between Florida and California, um, you know, now these tournaments are going offshore, and they used to have a year-end championship in Madison Square Garden. Now it's in London, and it's—I mean, at least, at least if you're a golf fan, you can still turn, tune in on Sundays and not worry about time differences. And um, you know, there there may be some players winning the the Greater Hartford Open or whatever, but um, you know, at least you're getting golf in the U.S. And it's not only the players are overseas, but the tournaments are overseas too now. Joined by John Wartime of Sports Illustrated. He's joining us live from London, the site of Wimbledon. You had an interesting piece in Sports Illustrated this week talking about basically how Wimbledon hasn't sold out. They don't have a lot of corporate sponsorships. Uh, they don't have luxury suites. Maybe they've left some money on the table, but they're still profitable. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, it's a little like Augusta, but you come here, especially after covering U.S. sports, and you come from the NBA playoffs, and you come here and there are no signage and there are no naming rights and there are no T-shirt giveaways and the scoreboard doesn't do anything. And it's really kind of jarring. And you, you sort of think, gosh, they're leaving, you know, literally hundreds of them. I mean, you look at what the naming rights to an average progressive field, you know, an average baseball park, um, are, you know, eight figures in naming rights. Imagine what center court of Wimbledon would get. 
But, I mean, I think there's, I mean, first of all, it's a great event to go to. I mean, you don't have any of this commercialization, and it really, like like Augusta, again, makes it uh, extra special. But I also think the fact that they haven't sold out so much, in, in sort of the back way, it helps their appeal, because it sort of makes it so different from these other sporting events where, uh, you know, there, there's wall-to-wall signage and pitching changes brought to you by insurance companies and sponsor, you know, categories of sponsors. Here you come here, and it's basically... Uh, and or, you know, one Rolex ski cow and uh, a little IBM patch, and that's that's about the only commercialism you really see. It's kind of like the old days at Boston Garden with Red Arbach. You know, they didn't have dancers and they didn't have music in between uh, timeouts and things like that. It was just roll out the ball and old-fashioned basketball. No T-shirt cannons here. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Hey, but you have Will and Kate, right? Will and Kate. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. We don't have the sumo, we don't have the, uh, the sumo guys at midcourt. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, it's, it's funny, though, because you come here and you realize just how many of these things exist when you go to a game in the U.S. I mean, everything, you know, the fireworks and the starting lineup and the, um, you know, the, the com- commercial breaks and the dot races. I mean, you, you really sort of take stock of just how commercial the, uh, the American sports experience has become. Few minutes left with John Wartime of Sports Illustrated joining us live from Wimbledon. I want to talk some NBA with you because I know you're an NBA guy too. Thursday at midnight, the CBA expires. Everyone that I've talked to, John, that works in the NBA has said we're going to a lockout and it's going to be lengthy. What are you hearing? I'm hearing uh, exactly. I'm hearing football and basketball are going in opposite directions and that we're making some progress on the NFL front and that'll get hammered out and you know, we'll might miss some training camp, but we'll we'll get an NFL season. But uh, basketball is looking grim. But I I still think that, and we saw this happen last time too. You know, we saw this happen in this go around. Uh, you know, ten, eleven years ago, whenever it was, that it's easy to talk tough now, but when the players start missing checks, um, it's a different ball game. And you wonder how long. You know, we all know the spending habits of athletes and. They see what you will about um, the owners. You know, Paul Allen is not going to worry about um, you know missing a couple of paychecks. Mark Cuban's going to be fine if he goes a couple months without a check. I don't know if the same holds true for uh, for the players. And I think it's, it's easy to talk tough now, but we'll see what happens once uh, the checks stop coming. Well, some of the owners have actually argued they'll lose less money if there's no season than they would if there was a season under the current financial model. Yeah, you, you know, you never know about these numbers, which is obviously at the root of, of some of the NFL issues. But you watch game when, when you hear that 22 of those teams are losing money, and you watch these highlights and see the attendance. You know, you, you watch SportsCenter and you see what it looks like in the background when they play in Atlanta and Indiana and Milwaukee and Minnesota and New Jersey. And you say, you know what, I, I believe the model's broken. Um, you know, again, we're talking to a 22, you know, three-fourths of the teams, two-thirds of the teams um, say, they're gonna lose, say, say that they're losing money right now. And I think in, in this case, um, I, I think that's probably to be believed. Yeah, it's just interesting. I Look, I don't really side with the owners too much because they handed out these contracts and they kind exactly. of they want a dummy-proof CBA where they can say, okay, either we have non-guaranteed contracts or we have two- and three-year contracts, so if we make a mistake with a bad contract, we can get out of it quickly. And they've handed out some really bad contracts in the last 10 years. Please save us from ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And um, so who's, whose fault is it that, you know, just pick your – Pick your overplayed player. I mean, whose fault is it that Carlos Boozer is making the money that he is? But 
at the same time, something something clearly has, has got to give when you look at, uh, you know, I mean, the television revenue is what it is, but, boy, uh, you know, for, 41 dates, that's a lot of seats to fill uh, if, if you're a good number of these teams. Just about a minute left. You've got a book out called Scorecasting, and uh, I wanted to know, how's that doing? I enjoyed the read. It dispels a lot of myths and sports. If you haven't read it, Scorecasting, but how's that book selling for you? Uh, it was great. I mean, you know, it's, it's been out a couple months, but, uh, yeah, we... It's on the Times bestseller list for a while, and it was sort of, you know, it was sort of like a Freakonomics goes to sports type of book. And uh, we we had a lot of. I wrote it with a buddy of mine who's an economist, and yeah, we we had a uh, had a lot of fun with that one. What's your next book? That is a good question. You've uh, always got one up your sleeve. Uh, we're we're thinking about more scorecast. You know, we wrote the scorecasting. People said, "Oh, you guys should really look at, you know, just throwing close to a batter. Uh, you know, does this." Throwing heat have any impact on whether a batter hits the ball, or did you look at the timeouts really stop the bleeding? People gave us so many ideas. We're probably going to do a uh, a sequel to this to that scorecasting book. I want to know if Josh Hamilton's claim is true. He has blue eyes and he can't see the ball during the day. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> see that? See that one? Color contacts, buddy. Yeah, yep. that one. Uh, that made it. That made it over the British papers. I'll have you know. Oh wow. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking time to join us from Wimbledon. It's always great to catch up, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. No, very good. Thanks, Brent. That's John Wartime from Sports Illustrated. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. As hard as that, I didn't even know. There's a million reasons for you to go But if you can find a reason to stay I'll do whatever it takes To turn this around I know what's at stake I know that I've let you down And if you give me a chance Believe it, I can change This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, we knew it was only a matter of time until something like this happened. Australian beach volleyball star Claire Kelly is selling tattoo space on her body for sponsorship. 
Kelly is offering a two centimeter by two centimeter space on her left arm for ten thousand five hundred dollars U.S., while fifty-two thousand dollars buys you five centimeters by five centimeters on her right arm or shoulder. The money will pay for Kelly and partner Carla Cleverlin to join the World Pro Tour, on which the pair must play at least 12 events to qualify for the 2012 London Olympics. Griggs, I'm actually surprised we haven't seen this earlier. Yeah, you're right. I mean, with with all the beach volleyball and, you know, how there's sponsors all over the place and on the net and on the ball and everything, yeah, this makes sense. But I used to think that <laughs> back in the day when a guy like Dennis Rodman played, that it was only a matter of time till he was going to start selling True. tattoo space on his body. I mean, yeah. you know the leagues would probably prevent it, but... It doesn't mean that an athlete won't try it and that they couldn't get paid just when they're walking around. Maybe you get uh, fined or you have to tape it up while you're playing in your sport. But if you're just walking around town or whatever and you've got, you know, the swoosh or the three stripes from Adidas or whatever it may be logo, someone would probably pay you for that. Yeah, I think you're right. And it is kind of interesting. We haven't seen it yet, but um, it'll be interesting to see what the first one is because... I wonder if she has limitations. Like, is anything good a good to go on this, or is it going to have to be something, you know, legitimate like Nike or Adidas? But you never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> the other story this week that caught my eye, uh, actor Charlie Sheen tells Sports Illustrated in its latest issue that he took steroids for like six or eight weeks while filming the 1989 movie Major League. Sheen says the performance-enhancing drugs helped his fastball go from 79 miles an hour to 85 miles an hour. Winning. Winning, yes, that's right. So Charlie Sheen has taken steroids. This is the other best part. He said that the steroids made him a little bit irritable while he was on them. Interesting, because he's not irritable now at all. All right, a lot of thank you to our guests this week. Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com, John Wartime from Sports Illustrated, our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Pack, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand anytime you want. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the iTunes link. Please fill out our survey at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're trying to learn more about who listens to our show and how you're listening. Win a chance to promote your company or brand at our global sports radio audience. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great 4th of July weekend, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thank Thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com. And subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And stay connected to the business side of sports. Only with Sports Business Radio. 